You are listening to the audio portion of the QB Power Hour webinar series. The QB Power Hour is a free bi-weekly webinar series for accounting professionals presented by Michelle Long and Dan DeLong, who are very passionate about the industry, QuickBooks, and apps that integrate with QuickBooks. You can find out all the details about the webinar series at qbpowerhour.com. So without further ado, here's Michelle and Dan. All right, Michelle, you want to take us kick it off? Sure, sure. Hi, welcome everybody. Thank you for joining us for another QB Power Hour. We're very glad to have you all joining us. And I see, like Dan said, lots of people are still coming in. Today's topic is QuickBooks Special Accounts. And we're going to be talking about desktop and online today. Um, so we're very glad to have you joining us. My name is Michelle Long. I'm the owner of Long for Success. I've been a contract trainer for Intuit for a long time now, and I really enjoy that. Author of a few different books. You can check them out on Amazon. And I encourage you to join us at that Facebook group. We now have over 9,500 members and it's a great place to continue the conversation and people are always willing to give you feedback for better or worse <laughs> people share their opinions and ideas out there um, so come join us and hang out with us there on that Facebook group Dan you want to go ahead and introduce yourself yeah my name uh, I'm the I'm the captain to Michelle's to Neil <laughs> uh, co-host today uh, Dan DeLong owner of Dan Witt and uh, chief content creator at, at schoolofbookkeeping.com where we uh, just keep learning and um, transforming businesses through technology. Uh, so coming up, uh, actually on the on the QB Power Hour, uh, we today of course we have our uh, our special accounts. So we'll talk about what a special account is and and uh, some of the some of the accounts in both desktop and online. And then uh, in a couple of weeks we'll be talking about QuickBooks de desktop data utilities. Uh, so when you're dealing with uh, desktop uh, sometimes there's some data damage. How do you go about uh, working through that? Uh, some and some best practices, um, and especially if you're you're trying to get them up to QuickBooks Online, what do you do to you know consolidate or condense the data? So uh, join us in a couple weeks for that. Um, obviously, the the PDF of the slides is available uh, there in the handouts. Uh, you, you can go and click on that link uh, and and view all of the handouts from from all of uh, all of the QB Power Hours, even from last year, if you really want to. <laughs> um, and there's links to the to the recording, so if you didn't catch us live, you can you can watch it again. Uh, and also our podcast, uh, you can listen to us on the go. Although these days, a lot of people isn't going everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on the goes from downstairs up to my office. <laughs> I have a, right. I have. A, if, I have a 30-second commute. <laughs> if it takes an hour to get from the floor, you know, the first floor to the second floor, then maybe you got some other issues to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, our agenda today, we'll be talking a, a lot about, uh, well, first of all, we'll, we'll talk about what a special account is. Um, and then we'll talk about some unique uh, accounts in QuickBooks that, that are special accounts. So undeposited funds, accounts receivable, accounts payable, unapplied cash payments, uh, sales and payroll taxes, inventory and retained earnings. So we're all we're going to cram that all into <laughs> into an hour. So hopefully we don't run out of time. Uh, but uh, our, I think our first next, our first step is just to uh, run off of a poll here. So what version of QuickBooks are you using? So we always want to kind of cater uh, the QB Power Hour to you. <laughs> um, so what what version are are you using? Just go ahead and. Um, answer that question. We'll give a couple minutes there. 
And while you're answering that poll question, I'll just remind you that we've got the Q&A box, and that's the best place to type your questions in because that allows Dan and I to actually respond to a specific question um, versus the chat. Things get kind of lost in the chat sometimes, so if you want to use that Q&A box to ask us a question, we will do our best to answer it as we go along. And like Dan said, it is helpful to know which version of QuickBooks you're using because this session, Dan and I are going to be talking about both desktop and online, but there are some differences between the two, and so we will point that out as we go along um, throughout this. Yeah, we were we were talking right before we, we got on. This is kind of weird. Of uh, It's just... Michelle and I today, uh, usually we, <laughs> past couple months, we've had uh, guests come on or um, extra people to help us out with the, with the questions. Uh, so bear with us. We're as flying, we're, as, flying, <laughs> flying solo. solo. <laughs> exactly. So let me go ahead and uh, end the poll here and share the results. So yeah, it looks like uh, most half of, of, of who, who we have here today uh, is, is using both. So definitely, um, Gonna gonna work uh, for for both QuickBooks Online and Desktop, and then a little bit split between the between, between the two. So Wonderful. Michelle, let's go ahead and kick us off with your favorite. Okay. Well, yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> well, that's right. We got to talk about. Undeposited funds is my favorite, or my <laughs> arch enemy. I don't know which. But anyway, so first of all, let's just talk about some basics when it comes to special accounts. Um, so special accounts. I'm going to start with actually the second bullet. We should have put it first. These are accounts that are automatically created in QuickBooks for you. We don't set them up and create them. Whenever you use something, like if you use an invoice, accounts receivable would be triggered and, and created. If you turn on or enable inventory, then you'll have inventory accounts. So special accounts are things that are automatically created by QuickBooks for you. You don't set them up yourself. And they usually have special functionality that is tied to that account. Dan will talk about that, especially when we talk about payroll taxes and things like that. They have special functionality associated with that type of an account. Now, these special accounts in QuickBooks Online, we have usage limits. You can see here um, in the middle one over there on the right, chart of accounts, you can have up to 250 accounts. So the special accounts don't count as part of the, the usage limits over there. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. And then also with these special accounts, we're going to talk about in some situations where you choose not to use that special account, like with sales taxes. Sometimes we choose not to use the special account. And so Dan and I are going to talk about that. And we're going to try to help you understand these special accounts and help you avoid some of the most common problems and issues working with special accounts. Dan, do you have anything you want to add on this? No, um, I think we'll, we'll probably talk about the, the specifics as we go through each one. But yeah, the, the, the special functionality and, and, and as we get into the next one, which is undeposited funds, um, you know, a lot of your clients uh, don't realize how, what they're used for. So oftentimes their, their workflows or, or what makes sense to them to do inside <laughs> of their QuickBooks uh, kind of avoids these uh, special accounts and then either makes more work for you or breaks the connection or, you know, gives them improper reporting. So yeah. those are the, the pitfalls that we're going to be talking about um, and how to avoid them 
as we as we go through today and my cat decided to join us sorry <laughs> <laughs> and, and speaking of pitfalls one of the number one problems um, that we see from clients and stuff is undeposited funds and I mean think about this we as accounting professionals when you took some classes to learn bookkeeping or whether you took accounting in college or whatever classes or training you took it probably they didn't teach you about undeposited funds. That is something that's unique to QuickBooks. And so it's important for us to understand how it works so we can help our clients understand it and answer their questions. So one of the things that I, you know, I wanted to cover some of the basics. Y'all probably know this, but just a refresher because we do have new people on here all the time. So the recommended workflow when you're working with sales in QuickBooks, whether you're using desktop or online, is either create an invoice and then sometime later you receive payment, hopefully, and then you make your deposit. Or if you're getting paid at a time of sale, you do a sales receipt, then you create your deposit. So with QuickBooks, if you have several payments to deposit, you need to add those together. So if you think about it, let's say Craig's Design Landscaping, Craig went out, he mowed three yards this afternoon. So he has three checks that he needs to deposit. When he fills out the deposit slip, he writes down all three checks, or prints it out, um, but he's listing all three checks on the deposit slip because he's making one deposit. So he received three payments in QuickBooks, making one deposit. In order for, Qu in, for QuickBooks to group those and add those up, what happens is the payments, when you receive the payment or enter the sales receipt, it goes into undeposited funds. Then when I make the deposit, it takes all of those out of there, the ones that I select, and records one deposit. So it's a way for it to open, to, to put those together and add them up. And so one of the things that I'll see a lot of clients will do is clients will look at their deposit, okay? So after they make the deposit, they go in and they pull it up and look at it, and they say, wait a minute. My deposit still says undeposited funds. How come? What's wrong? You know, so I thought it's important if we understand what's going on behind the scenes, what accounts are being hit. So, for example, when you create the invoice, it's hitting accounts receivable. It's so debit accounts receivable, credit income. Then when I receive payment, it goes into undeposited funds. And remember, this is a temporary clearing account until you group them together to make the deposit. So you're going to debit undeposited funds when you're receiving the payment, and then you credit accounts receivable. So it goes into accounts receivable with the invoice, then it comes back out of the accounts receivable when we do our um, our receive payment. Then with the deposit, it goes into our checking account, and it comes out of undeposited funds. So if a client goes in and looks at that deposit, they'll see undeposited funds and then they freak out. Ah, it's not, you know, it's not supposed to still be there. How come it says undeposited funds? I thought I deposited it. They did. That's the other side of that transaction. So I think it's helpful if you can kind of understand this. And yeah, some people are saying that you can think of it as a, a drawer like or an envelope. You know, you put the checks in this drawer until the end of the day, and then you take them, you make your deposit, or you put them in this folder or, or whatever scenario you want to use. But the idea is the things are going in and coming back out. So when you have a new client, um, and you know, if you're looking at a potential client or whatever, one of the things you always want to do is just go in and look at that undeposited funds register. Things should be going in and coming back out. If not, they're not doing it correctly. And um, I'll tell you, I had a client one time, bless her heart, she knew something was wrong. 
you know, she, she calls me up and she says, I need help. You know, something's wrong. I don't know what it is. And um, she just, she knew her income seemed off and things like that. So I got looking at it and she actually had a CPA and I'm a CPA myself. Just because we're a CPA doesn't mean we know QuickBooks. <laughs> I'm a CPA doesn't mean I know taxes, you know, so we all have our specialties. But anyway, the CPA had done the taxes and everything, and there was like $150,000 worth of undeposited funds sitting on the balance sheet, and the CPA had filed the tax return. So they didn't look. They didn't know QuickBooks. They, did, you know, they should have questioned, what is this? Uh, long story short, we had to, she had to have an amended tax return done, and we had to clean that up. So always we want to look and see are things going in and out of undeposited funds because it should be clearing itself out if they're following the proper workflow. Now, when they don't, let's go on. I'm just going to pop into QuickBooks here because I think it's easier to show you this. Um, when they don't follow the proper workflow is when like she had, there were thousands of them because she did retail sales. So there were a lot of tiny little sales. Um, so she had, so, you know, thousands literally of undeposited funds sitting there. And how many of you have ever tried to do a journal entry to fix undeposited funds? Does it work? Dan, will it work? Well, no. kind of, sort of. I mean, it Not really. really. <laughs> <laughs> you still it have to go in and make the deposit to clear it out. Exactly. So if you make a, a journal entry, you might think, oh, yay, I fixed undeposited funds, right? See, I got the right balance. But every time you go in to record that deposit, they're all still going to pop back up here. They still will show as your payments to deposit because you can't pull them out of there without making a deposit. So here's the payments that we received either from a received payment when we sent out an invoice or a sales receipt that are sitting in undeposited funds. And this is where she literally had thousands of these. And this was with desktop. And I had my son working with me at the time. And we quickly discovered that you could only select about 300 at a time or it would crash <laughs> QuickBooks. Okay, so we had to do only. it in batches <laughs> only, yeah. So what you want to do is you look and you see what's going on out here. If you've got lots and lots of transactions out here, you'll probably want to do this to fix it in batch, like by month or by year, um, depending on how long this has been going on and stuff. But what normally happens is the client receives a payment. It goes into undeposited funds. They go look in their check register. They don't see it. And so they'll go into the check register and they'll enter a deposit and they tab across and they'll put it into income. So what's happened is we've left it sitting in undeposited funds and we've now doubled up on our income because we recorded the income when we recorded the sale on the invoice or the sales receipt. So now our undeposited funds is overstated and your income is overstated. So to clean this up, a journal entry is not going to remove these from your payments to deposit window. You need to come into the bank deposit window, select those that you want to pull out of there. And I've already done the research to figure out which account the client was hitting instead of um, when they entered that deposit. And usually it's an income account. Usually it's our primary income account. Now keep in mind, they made one deposit. They put the deposit into the bank account they didn't take it out of undeposited funds. So my checking account is okay. And that's what happened with this client is the, the accountant could reconcile the bank account. So they didn't see that there was a problem in this instance because they didn't question what that was on the balance sheet. You always want to kind of tie out your balance sheet and know what's out there. But this is not going to affect our, our cash account. So if they've reconciled all their accounts and everything, that's okay. 
But what you want to do is you want to look up here and see what the total payments that you've selected. So again, I might have done this by month. I might have done this by year. You know, you're going to go through and choose some. The total payments selected here, I want to put in as a negative amount right here. What this is going to do is it fixes the overstatement in income because it's going to take it out of that income account and it's going to take them out of undeposited funds and it's going to fix that. So if you'll notice when you scroll down, your net deposit is zero. You're not going to mess up your bank account balance. You, again, need to do the research to determine what they did wrong and which income account they were putting it into. And then we need to teach them, you know, to do it the proper way. Now, one of the things, because it is going to give you $0 transactions, a lot of times people will set up a clearing or a journal entry bank account to use so that these things aren't showing up as zeros when you do your bank reconciliation. So that's a choice. That's up to you how you want to do that. But then once you do this, that's how you actually clean up undeposited funds. Okay. Yeah. So I just wanted to share that with you. And, and here's a YouTube video. Um, the end, did you want to add something? Oh, no, I, it's, there's a lot of ways to like you, like you, what you're saying, there's a lot of ways to clean that up. And it really just depends on, you know, it's kind of like when a police officer comes to a, a scene of an accident, you know, like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's figure out the best way to, you know, there's an is there an emergency? Do we need to clean that up uh, that first or what's the most thorough thing to do? And, 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 I, and I may have missed it because I may have been answering a question, but if you have uh, reconciled these transactions in the bank account, that's what really is the deciding factor of, of how you want to clean it up. Because if they've never reconciled, well, sure, just delete the uh, delete it and recreate it, you know, and then and that's an option too. Um, then you don't have to do it that way where you're tying these all together or creating a journal entry, making $0 deposits and that sort of thing. So there are lots of ways to, to handle that. And somebody uh, had mentioned uh, in, in the, in the Q&A that every cleanup job has a problem <laughs> with this account. So this, yes. is, this is a, this is a, a heavy hitter, usual suspect. <laughs> yes. And to give you an idea of how long this has been going on <laughs> with problems with that deposit funds, seven years ago, I you know, used to answer questions in the community all the time. And I see this fund, this question all the time. How do I fix undeposited funds? And so I did a video seven years ago. It's on desktop, but the same principles still apply. How do you clean up undeposited funds? So you guys can go watch that if you want. I can't believe 170,000 plus people have watched a QuickBooks video. There's not a single cat or dog in it, but a lot of people have problems with undeposited funds. So this is how you can fix this, um, is go in, select those undeposited funds, and then put the income account negative here. This won't affect your bank reconciliation because, again, this is, this is a net zero deposit, so it's not going to affect your bank account balance or anything. So that is a huge problem that we have with QuickBooks. And so uh, once you understand undeposited funds, you can help your clients understand it. And somebody in here said that they put it directly into checking. And one thing that you might keep in mind is if you do a, uh, a receive payment or a sales receipt, if you do that and you have, let's say they had one big sale for $10,000, so they're going to put it straight in the bank all by itself. If you change the deposit to account to the checking account, it's going to remember that next time. 
So then next time, instead of going into undeposited funds where you can group them together to make reconciling easier, it's going directly into checking. So I always just tell clients, you know, just let it go directly to undeposited funds all the time, even if you only have one of them, because otherwise they forget to change the deposit to account back. Um, so that's something to think about. Now, another thing that we have frequently is accounts receivable and accounts payable. That's an automatic account. The minute you use an invoice or a bill, it creates those accounts. If you're using multi-currency and I create an invoice in Canadian dollars or in euros, then it will create AR Canadian or AR Euro. It will create those accounts as needed. Now, in desktop, as you can see here on the top, you can have multiple accounts receivable and accounts payable where you can select the one you want. This is particularly helpful for nonprofits where they may want to have multiple accounts, you know, grants receivable, you know, donations committed and pledged, things like that. Anyway, you might have multiple AR accounts where you can select them on the invoice or with AP where you can select them on the bill. So this is where in, in QuickBooks Online, you know, when I'm presenting this, people will say, can you use more than one AR account in QBO or AP? And I'll be like, no, you can't. And then somebody who always likes to prove how smart they are says, yes, you can. I just added a second account receivable account. See, I just did that right there in QuickBooks Online. Yes, I can have two of them. Well, you can add the account, but you can't use it. <laughs> On the like, invoice. Uh, it's like Sauron's ring. There can only be one <laughs> to rule them all, right? <laughs> yeah, because you, you can add the second account, but you can't use it. When you enter an invoice, you can't select which account you want to use in QuickBooks Online at this time. Who knows if they might change that in the future. So with desktop, you can have multiple AR or AP accounts. With QuickBooks Online, you, you can't use multiple ARAP accounts. You can set them up, but you can't use them. Okay. So just yeah, and that's, uh, that's one of those sticky things. So it, it'll remember the last one that you used and it will just stay with that uh, when you use it again. As the default. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And now here's another one that's unique to QuickBooks Online. Um, so they don't have this in desktop. It's unique to QuickBooks Online. And it's also one of those things that is relatively new for a lot of us and people don't understand. It's unapplied cash payment income or unapplied bill payment expense. So it's depending on whether we're talking about invoices and uh, payments received or we're talking about bills and pay bill payments. Okay, so cash payment income or bill payment expense. It's going to show up when you run your profit and loss on a cash basis. Okay, and it's only going to show up when you have an open credit in accounts receivable or accounts payable or the payment is dated prior to the invoice or the bill. So let me explain this. So if you've taken the advanced certification training, we talk about how to account for retainers and prepayments or deposits that clients have where they receive money in advance as a prepayment or a deposit retainer. There's three different options. And one of the options is, hey, we're a small business. We're not giving our financials out to anybody else. We don't have to give them to the bank or anything. It's all just internal. When we get that prepayment, we're going to put it in as a deposit and just let it sit as a credit in accounts receivable, except at year end where we have to adjust for that because it should be deferred revenue. And we go over all those details in the advanced cert training, I believe module three, if you want to go back and look at it. But anyway, um, so if you have a credit sitting in accounts receivable, 
when you run your P&L on a cash basis, it zeroes out accounts receivable. It doesn't know where to put that account or that income, so it goes into unapplied cash payment income. If I had a vendor uh, a payment, a bill payment that wasn't applied to a bill, it would go into that unapplied bill payment expense. Okay. The other situation where you might see this is where you have the payment dated. So I have an invoice and I have received payment, but my received payment is dated before the invoice. And then I run that report because it's, it's open now and that'll cause it. And Dan, you had an example of a bill payment dated yeah. prior. Yeah, I was talking to, um, yeah, I was talking to a client and uh, they had the situation where uh, is 2019 and they had a bill payment in 2019, but then they applied it to a bill in 2020. Um, so the way that the cash basis reports uh, work is, you know, for that period, as soon as, as soon as QuickBooks stumbles across a payment in that situation where the, where the payment is, is earlier uh, than the bill that it's applied to or the, the invoice that it's applied to uh, QuickBooks then goes, aha, okay, well, uh, and there's some obscure IRS publication that <laughs> that uh, is is the logic behind it, but it will say, "Aha! I have to recognize the the expense or the income on that day." And if that reporting, uh, if you run the report to include both of them, once it gets to the actual bill that it's applied to, uh, you would see it be removed out of unapplied cash payment, and uh, and then. According, you know, uh, allocated a, appropriately based on the bill, but not until that day. And know, that's until so it gets to that point. Yeah, and and that's a good point, Dan. Is the dates are key, and so if you see that unapplied cash payment income or expense in there, when you see it in there on a certain date, what you can do is run that cash basis P and L like by month to see when it first shows up, and then cut it down and go by week, and that can help you to identify what date that happened and that helps you identify it and helps you to fix it or drill because when you drill down you don't see it you, you don't right. see that so you want to run your report it's, narrowing it down by dates to help you to go in and identify where that happened um, and right. how you can fix it sometimes it's as simple as changing the date so that they're the same date and that yeah. avoids the problem but, it, but in this in this instance that you don't want to do that because that's two different years yeah <laughs> for yeah. one uh, you wouldn't want to, you know, if they if they filed their taxes based off of that report that they ran in 2019, that expense is recognized already. Right. So, yep. um, so they would want to, you know, find out what what actually happened. Again, you know, the police officer coming into the <laughs> into the scene <laughs> of the crime. Got to investigate. To investigate that before, you know, because the question was, well, how do I fix this? Well, it's like, well. Really, there wasn't much to fix um, <laughs> because that's what happened. Now, right. if you're in the same, uh, if you're in the same uh, accounting period, then changing the date so that the bill precedes the invoice, or uh, utilizing the the proper accounting with uh, retainers and deposits and and things of that nature, so that it doesn't go that route and not even touch the uh, the, the the profit and loss. Right.
So that hopefully will help you to understand what that is when you see that on the P&L. Um, Dan, do you want to go ahead and launch the next poll question? And then we'll pass it to that. you for a while. And, um, right. and again, these are things that, you know, are special accounts like that unapplied cash payments uh, income or bill payment expense. Those are special accounts that QuickBooks uses when, it, when you run that report. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of people are like, what is this? Where did it come from? Why is it here? And so hopefully that's going to help you to understand that a little bit better. Um, and Dan, yes, thank you. He uh, put the link to a great resource there. Now, um, so the question here is what ProAdvisor certifications do you have? You can, uh, this is one of those where you can check all that apply. So if your core certification for QBO or got your advanced certification, desktop, enterprise, point of sale, or still working on it, uh, just let us know here. Because what's reminder, happening? <laughs> reminder, y'all have about two weeks left um, till the end of the month. If you are already certified in QuickBooks Online or you're advanced certified, you need to do your recertification by the end of the month. So this is a reminder for you that you need to get this done. It doesn't take that long. For the core research, it's only two modules. For the advanced research, it's three modules. So you want to renew your certification so you don't have to do the whole thing over again. Now, if you were recently certified, let's say you just took the VCon, you know, a month or two ago and you just got certified, you don't have to recertify until 2021. All right. But if you were certified, I think it's before like November or I don't know. If you were certified last year, you probably need to do that recertification. I know I still need to get mine done. So uh -oh. I have to get in there. And do <laughs> so that's that. a reminder for you. <laughs> it is. It is. So you're actually preaching and the choir. Yes. So we need to do our recertification by August 31st and don't put it off till the last minute. Right. Okay. So let's go ahead and close out the poll and share the results so you can see. So mostly uh, QBO certification is, is what we have, but we do have some advanced uh, and, and you definitely don't want to do that test all over again. No. <laughs> um, but desktop and enterprise and, and a few point of sales on there. And I'm awesome. just going to share also real quickly. Sorry, Dan. Sure. Those of you that are course certified or maybe you're not certified at all, I encourage you to do the advanced certification. It's more passable than ever. And look, if you look at the average billing rates, when you get advanced certified, you can charge 20 to 25% more versus the course certification. Advanced certified versus no certification, they charge 46% higher billing rates. So if that's not motivation to take the time to get certified and get the advanced certification, I don't know what is. I mean, not only- <laughs> You're not so, motivated yeah. by money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and somebody's asking, what's the next training um, for uncertified? I'll put a link in there for how you can access the training um, and all that stuff. So, all right, Deanne, you wanna go ahead and take it away? Yeah, there's there was a couple questions that I wanted to to kind of touch up of, of some of the things that you covered, uh, Michelle. Okay. Um, so somebody somebody was saying I don't do. So Nancy was saying I don't do deposits. All my payments are online, so I don't need undeposited funds, right? So if they're all oh. going oh, yeah. right to the bank account, right? And so if the they. Yeah, if they're doing online payments and stuff, you're just going to be handling that from the bank feed. And yes, it went directly into the into the deposit, um, directly into the checking account. That's okay. Undeposited funds is where you have to group multiple payments together. Now, you could have a situation where um, the payments are made through like Visa and MasterCard. 
and Visa and MasterCard, add those two together to make one bank deposit. So when, if you're entering the sales, like through a daily sales summary, you might be putting Visa payments that you receive today into undeposited funds along with the MasterCard because then you make the deposit to group those together to make one bank deposit. So you need to follow the flow of the money and just remember that your goal is always whatever goes into the bank account in QuickBooks should be what's actually going into the bank account. So when you go to reconcile, those deposits match up. Yeah, and that's also a great uh, advantage of the QB payments of the QuickBooks payments when you're billing outside mm -hmm. of you know, billing through QuickBooks uh, is it does those batchings for you and, and, and makes those deposits through undeposited funds for you. QuickBooks Online, you don't even need to make those transactions. As soon as the payment is, is funded, it, it makes those transactions for you. And then you just match them to your downloaded bank feed and you don't even have to worry about undeposited funds. It does the worrying for you. So that's a great way to actually uh, train your clients is not even use it use uh, use a service that goes along with it so that you you don't have to have those things yeah all right so moving on to sales tax <laughs> um, this is one of those accounts uh, QuickBooks online and, and desktop function a little bit differently uh, when it comes to sales tax and sales tax payable uh, but sales tax payable is uh, is a liability account and it's a special account that's created inside of QuickBooks automatically for you. Uh, but when you're using third-party apps uh, like uh, Avalara or uh, other programs that, that feed into to sales tax, or if you're you know, doing website sales and collecting the sales tax that way, you may not use the sales tax feature. I'm, I'm not saying you need to not use the sales tax feature, but sometimes that sales tax feature and the functionality that's tied to it is, is not as relevant as it would be if you were collecting sales tax directly within the sales transactions that are in, in QuickBooks. Um, now, in desktop, there is a tool that will help you correct it. And we did a, um, a QB Power Hour on how to save time with the accountant tools. So that link is there uh, for that and, and a, an explanation of how to use that tool. Uh, because what happens sometimes is that people will pay their sales tax and then put it to either put it directly to sales tax payable or put it to an expense account, which is even worse. <laughs> it's like I'm paying money. It must be an expense. Uh, makes sense on the, uh, in theory, but in, uh, in accounting, that's not, that's not the, the case. Uh, but the tool inside of QuickBooks uh, accountant, and it's only the accountant version will actually uh, fix, uh, find and fix, uh, the sales tax payments that were entered incorrectly for you. So you don't have to worry about, again, the, uh, the reconciliation or uh, deleting and re-entering those, those sales tax payments the right way. It will, it will fix it for you. Now, in desktop, um, you'll see here that you can't even edit the account on the item. So down here in the lower, lower left here, this is creating a sales tax item. And that's, that's one of the big differences between desktop and online is how the sales tax is even created. You create um, items and groups uh, to be able to collect your sales tax inside of QuickBooks Desktop. But you can see here in the, in the lower left, the item itself, when you're creating an item, you, don't even, you can't even tell it where to, where to point that on the, on the balance sheet or that account. So it's, it's hard-coded. 
sales tax payable is only available uh, by create by using an, an item uh, or a sales tax item or uh, grouping those uh, sales tax items together. Um, and sometimes what you'll see here over on the right side, we have a sales tax liability report. And this is a great report if you know what you're looking for. Uh, but in the sales tax collected column, sometimes that does not align with what it says the sales tax payable is for that same period. Uh, so here it does. So you can see these uh, San Domingo, the tax collected for that time period matches the sales tax payable. So when I go to pay the sales tax uh, here, that everything is, is perfectly aligned. <laughs> but sometimes you'll see a sales tax payable amount that is different than what the tax was collected. And that's part of that specialness, <laughs> is that even a word, uh, of, of sales tax payable, of that sales tax payable account. And what will happen is people will use the functionality that makes sense to them, but it breaks the functionality inside of QuickBooks. So that's where they write a check uh, to sales tax payable. And QuickBooks doesn't know, you know, that doesn't know that that's actually a sales tax payment because that's a special transaction. And it will just put that into the account because that's the balance as of that particular moment in time. So that's just something to, uh, this report, the sales tax liability report is a way for you to realize and, and uh, do your detective work. You drill in on the sales tax payable um, amount here and then look for transactions that are outside of the normal workflow. Um, and when you were talking, Michelle, about um, undeposited funds, undeposited funds uh, is a great way to, to find that is to run a report on sales uh, or on, on your revenue, but then filter it for deposits. Uh, so if you're looking for the revenue account, uh, you know, you would not see, you know, knowing what you know about undeposited funds, if you run a report for the, the revenue accounts and filter for only deposits that are posting, that will help you identify transactions that may you know, should be going through undeposited funds. Um, and then you can make your, make your adjustments. Same thing here. Uh, you can drill in on, on the sales tax payable account and look for check, you know, because a, a sales tax payment is going to be listed as a specific special transaction. So that's, that's how QuickBooks kind of reconciles a lot of the specialness of the sales tax or of the, uh, of the special accounts is it uses specific transactions to help with that because then there's uh, additional uh, functionality on those particular transactions that's not on a check, for example. And then in QuickBooks Online, it's a totally different ballgame when it comes to sales tax. Um, sales tax payable uh, is that account by itself isn't even used the way that it was used in, in desktop. Uh, so there's two uh, sales tax centers when you're looking in QuickBooks Online. Um, and this is the, the automated sales tax. So you can see um, if it looks like this, then you know that you're in the automated sales tax. This screen is the manual sales tax. So uh, when, you're, when we're comparing desktop to online, uh, online, when you're using the, the automated, you don't have to know who you need to pay. You don't have to know the amounts. QuickBooks Online will will do those uh, do those things for you. 
when you have the online manual sales tax or using desktop, you have to know how frequently you do the payments, how, um, who you make the payments to, uh, and what those amounts are, and you have to set those things up. Uh, so if you see it looking like this, this is the manual method, very similar to desktop. I got to set up, um, you know, over here on the right side where it says add, edit, rates, and agencies. You got to set those things up uh, with the automated, uh, automated sales tax. Uh, in theory, <laughs> QuickBooks will do those automatic tax payments for you and uh, or, or collect the, the payments properly based on the sale. Uh, so you, you there's a lot of things that you don't have to worry about, but as accountants, we do worry about those things. And sometimes it's not exactly right because there are so many different, um, uh, what's, what's what I'm looking at? There's so many different nuances to sales tax. Uh, and we had Avalara come on and talking about um, the sales, sales tax. And they, they, they showed an example of in Colorado, uh, next door neighbors had two different, uh, sales tax rate. So if you need to know that sort of thing, and that's a, that's a challenge, then we'll definitely, uh, you know, take a, take a peek at uh, the, uh, the Avalara uh, episode that we did about sales tax. Uh, but with sales tax payable in, in QuickBooks online, the way it's um, calculated, the special account uh, is it's created based on the vendor. So when you specify who your payment is, is paid to, um, then QuickBooks will create in, in online, it will create a, a sales tax payable account for you on the chart of accounts for that vendor. So you will see that on your chart of accounts. If you collect sales tax payable for multiple uh, vendors, you're going to see a sales tax payable account for each of those vendors on your, on your chart of accounts and QuickBooks is very unforgiving about modifying those, those accounts. Uh, so when you go into the chart of accounts, trying to edit or merge, um, you're breaking functionality by doing that. So it doesn't let you do that uh, on your chart of accounts. So it does make things a little uh, messy, I guess is the, <laughs> the best way to describe that. When, when you're looking at the balance sheet and you see all of these uh, vendor uh, payments you know, like an Arizona Department of Revenue or California State Board of Equalization uh, payable accounts uh, when you may just want to see one sales tax payable. And oh, if you converted from desktop to online, you get the sales tax payable account on top of that. <laughs> so, um, so there's a lot of uh, nuances when it comes to uh, sales tax and those, and those special accounts. So, um, was there any uh, questions? I was just kind of rambling yes. on there. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, and I Michelle. Yes, and I did put the link to the Avalara recording out there. That is, if you guys haven't listened to that, that is so important now with um, Nexus and the new Wayfair ruling um, and how that impacts our clients, where it can trigger sales tax in other states they weren't planning on. So I put the link to that. There's links to other great resources there. I highly encourage you to do that. Dan, Rich, hi, Rich. Uh, says, hi, Rich. <laughs> Rich says, QBO sales tax, can you go from manual to automated or the other way? Um, no, yes and no, but the yes is, is, a, is a very convoluted way. In order for you to switch between manual and 
and automated. Once uh, it, it, it's kind of like a, a garage tire strip, right? <laughs> when you go past that, if you try to reverse that, you're going to have severe tire damage. Um, so <laughs> if you try to back up, um, especially if you've created, uh, in order to go back to manual uh, in, in, in QuickBooks Online, you have to have zero transa sales transactions that have used the automated sales tax calculation. So basically you have to delete all your sales that, that were using the automated sales tax in order to switch it back to, to manual. Uh, and, and oftentimes that is too convoluted uh, to, to actually get it back to that, to that point. Um, but this is the new newer method. Um, and, you know, as we talked about last, last uh, QB power hour feedback, Send in feedback. <laughs> yes. And so, Dan, here's another question from Barbara. I heard there were many issues with automated sales tax in QBO. Is that your experience? Um, when it works, it works great. Uh, if it doesn't work, it's horrible. <laughs> uh, I guess that's just the easiest, uh, the nicest way to put it. Um, because there are so many, so many nuances uh, to, to sales tax, um, you know, sales tax holidays in New York for back to school. Well, kids are going to go back to school, maybe not this year, but next year, <laughs> you know, but you have all of those things. And then like Florida, luxury items, uh, threshold sales tax. I've seen it work really well, um, you know, for a lot of things. There's just a lot more things when it comes to actually calculating what the sales tax payable was. Now, if you know what the sales tax pay, you know, amount should be, yes, you can overwrite that um, and go into the transactions and modify that. But if it's been collected uh, based on an incorrect amount, you know, then, then there's another challenge to, <laughs> to, to address at that point. It's like, well, how do I do deal that with my customer? And am, am I on the hook for that? Um, that, that, that's yeah. what, and and Dan, I just of sales tax, yeah. Yeah, I, I just want to let people know too, because um, somebody else asked, what's the best way to fix sales tax errors in QBO? QBO never seems to be able to calculate it correctly, at least in California. If you go to the Advanced Cert Training uh, Module Eight, maybe there's a module in the Advanced Certification Training that covers sales taxes, the automated sales taxes in detail, and it shows you where you can change the calculation if you need to. Um, and it covers also when you need to make sales tax adjustments. Let's say like Dan said, maybe you weren't charging the right rate. Um, maybe you forgot to charge a client sales tax. How do you invoice them for sales tax only? Maybe you had a sales tax audit and I owe $5,000 and I'm not going to go collect it from my clients. How can I make that adjustment and get it in QuickBooks? So in the advanced certification training, we've covered things like that. So you can go check that out. Advanced automated sales tax is awesome, but it's also you got to know what you're doing or get help setting mm -hmm. it up. So, yeah. and Dan, did we mention that you may not use the sales tax feature in QuickBooks if you're using a third party app or another yeah, system? Yeah. Did we yeah, mention like that? If you, if you do connect uh, to, to Avalara and, and just really outsource your sales tax uh, calculations and functionality, uh, they completely bypass uh, sales tax payable and that, and that sort of thing there. Uh, so that, may take a lot of headaches off your case. <laughs> um, and the way they explained it is, uh, you know, do what you do best and outsource the rest. Um, and I thought that was a great way to put it uh, because there are so many things to know about sales tax. 
Um, if that's your specialty, then, you know, by all means. Uh, but a lot of, a lot of our, our accounting friends and, and bookkeepers are just, oh, I don't want to touch this, but I still need to make this, um, you know, this is a, an essential business practice. Um, and, and you being in compliance with sales tax is, is a big thing for, uh, for, for a business uh, to know and do and do properly. Uh, because, you know, if they find a problem, they are going to let you know about it and they're going to charge penalties and interest and late fees and all that stuff for, for not doing it properly. And but it looks like we stepped on a hornet's nest. We did. Yeah. Well, so <laughs> we one more question. <laughs> one question I want to answer verbally, Dan. Um, somebody says QuickBooks flat out disclaim that they have responsibility for sales tax. It's our responsibility and our clients to ensure that it's set up properly. If we set it up wrong, then we're liable. And that's one reason why when it comes to the automated sales tax, you have to go in on a particular item and say, is this item taxable or not? And which tax rate applies to it? I don't know that. In some areas, a Hershey bar is taxed as candy, but a Hershey bar with almonds is taxed as food because it's got almonds in it. Fluoride toothpaste versus non-fluoride, tax different rates. I don't know all these sales tax laws, so I'm going to get these wrong when I'm setting it up. So I'm going to turn to somebody who's a salt expert, a sales and local taxes, or Avalara because I don't know how to set it up all properly. And if it's not set up properly, the client's going to point to me and, and come to me for liability. It's not into its fault. I didn't set it up properly. Um, so, you know, the automated sales tax, like Dan was saying, it is great. It does automatically adjust for sales tax holidays, things like that. But if it's not set up properly, you're in trouble. So please be careful with sales taxes um, and check out the Avalara link. <laughs> And that feeds right into payroll taxes <laughs> yeah. because it's the same, same thing. When, when you're, you're setting up your payroll, if you don't set it up properly, then, uh, then, then the calculations are going to be uh, going to be off. And uh, you know, just like, uh, just like the guarantee, you know, QuickBooks is a very good calculator when it's fed the right information. Um, so when you're talking about uh, payroll taxes, you know, these are going to be, the, the, the special accounts that we're going to be talking about here, uh, you know, payroll liabilities, payroll expenses, they're really only used when you're using the, the Intuit services. So, um, you know, so just like with sales tax, if you're only, if you're using sales tax directly within QuickBooks, then those functionalities are going to be kind of dictated by the transactions that are created when you're actually using the, that functionality. So payroll transactions are really going to dictate the, the functionality. So a paycheck, which is a special type of check, is going to be utilized with the reporting and those accounts when it comes to, uh, you know, the payroll liability account. And then liability payments are is a special transaction that that drives the, the reporting and, and allows QuickBooks to actually manage those things inside of inside of QuickBooks and, and dates are very important when it comes to uh, payroll, you know, the payroll tax liability account. Uh, the paycheck date is the main date. Uh, it is a cash basis uh, thing, you know, so payroll, um, accrued payroll doesn't really do that as well, you know, as, as your, your employees are entering time and those types of things, that doesn't hit uh, the, the accounts. Uh, and then with the payroll liability tax payments, the paid through date 
is is the most important because that's what happens. You accrue, uh, you know, the pay payroll cycle is paycheck, 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 increases your liability. And then as of those paycheck dates, you need to pay those liabilities through that date, but you don't do it right at the end of the month, right? I mean, nobody pays their liabilities. <laughs> uh, well, maybe some people do, but <laughs> uh, most people don't pay their liabilities or their tax payments uh, right before the, the end of the month. They'll, they'll do it when it's due, uh, which may be the 15th or the end of that following month, but you want the paid through date to be recognized for those paychecks that were done that last month. Now, when payroll is processed outside of QuickBooks, uh, you may not use the payroll tax feature at all. Uh, so if, even if you're using uh, the Intuit online payroll and sending that information into, into QuickBooks online or desktop, uh, you're not gonna be using the payroll liabilities feature uh, inside, of, inside of QuickBooks. Um, but there is in desktop, again, if you wanna watch that uh, prior, uh, prior QB Power Hour that we had, on the, the client data review tool, there is a way to find uh, incorrectly paid payroll taxes because those transactions, the liability payment is, is so necessary uh, for QuickBooks to actually get the right reporting, you know, because what will happen is, is like what you see here, uh, you know, the payroll, the pay taxes and other liability section, the payroll pay liability section of your payroll, uh, payroll center, it may show some, something that's overdue that you know you've already paid. Um, and then we got, a, again, the police officer coming into the scene of the crime, figuring out how that was actually done. The, the client data review tool will help you find uh, incorrectly paid payroll taxes, uh, even if they're using the liability account of payroll liabilities. It doesn't use those payroll items and pay those properly and the paid through date is not correct on a, on a regular check that's posting to payroll liabilities. So it needs to be done through a liability payment, which is a, a special transaction. Um, so the, the data, uh, client data uh, review tool uh, doesn't do like sales tax payments where it finds and fixes, but it helps you identify those transactions uh, so that you can uh, create those uh, liability payments properly. It's kind of like what Michelle was talking about with undeposited funds. You have to create a liability, a zero liability payment and then offset whatever account that they used on the check uh, so that it's a zero payment, uh, but it's actually paid through date is correct. And it's actually a, a liability payment uh, there. Uh, oh, we don't go right into inventory. Do we have anything about, payroll because I, I saw a yes. lot of Q&A's. <laughs> yeah, I'm furious still trying to keep up with all the sales tax questions. Um, is there still an issue with making changes to payroll tax forms on QBO, i.e. you can't change the Schedule B on a 941? Wow, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> I don't I don't believe you, you, you can. Now when we're talking about you know the, the forms, um, it's really kind of outside of the scope of you know, what we're talking about with special accounts, but you can, um, yeah, that, that, that would have to be, uh, we'd have to probably look at, look at that and research that with regards to the, the forms, but not off the top of my head if we are talking about modifying the, the, the forms. And now with the payroll offerings in, in QBO, um, 
you know, everything is full service. Um, even if you're, well, the only one is core and you can choose to, to do it yourself if, if you need to, but those forms are, are pretty well locked in, um, as far as making modifications, uh, desktop will be, um, will be best if, with regards to actually modifying the dollar amounts, because you actually can override the forms, uh, right on, right in, right in QuickBooks desktop. Okay. Thank you, Dan. I'm going to let you finish. Um, we've just got yeah. a couple minutes left and then we can do yeah, additional we were, questions. We're almost we were wondering done. if we were going to have enough time and <laughs> yeah, I know. on sales tax <laughs> and, and undeposited funds. So inventory, <laughs> uh, inventory is a, is another special account. Um, now you may not track inventory again, if you're, if you're using a third party app or program. Uh, but again, just like with sales tax and, and, and payroll, uh, with inventory, you always have to use an inventory item on all inventory transactions uh, because you, some people will make a journal entry for the value adjustment of their inventory asset. Um, by doing that, your, your, your balances will be off because the inventory detail reports are only going to be looking at transactions that are used uh, using an inventory item. And, you know, down here at the bottom, it will do, uh, you know, you can specify different inventory asset accounts so you can subcategorize your, your inventory if need be. Uh, but that's where you would map the accounts uh, in, in when you're setting up inventory parts inside of QuickBooks desktop. Um, and also you want to avoid negative inventory. Um, there's warnings all the time. Uh, and uh, QuickBooks desktop, you can bring back all one-time messages. It's a preference to, because a lot of times people will, Oh, just, just don't show me this again in the future. And, uh, <laughs> and those, <laughs> those messages, uh, were actually there for a reason. Um, so then, then uh, of course is the question, well, no, QuickBooks didn't warn me about that. Well, they may have just, this, uh, dismissed the message and you can bring those back. Uh, but that's, a that's again, a key using the inventory, um, same in the same in QuickBooks online. Uh, when you're using and, uh, and setting up, once you've set up inventory and, and quantity on hand, always use the inventory items on all the transactions uh, that you're utilizing because making uh, correct uh, ink, well, making adjustments for those balances uh, will throw off the, the reports. And that's really where, because uh, you'll be looking at an inventory detail report and it'll say it adds up to this, you know, $100,000. And then you look at the, the balance sheet and it's 95,000. Well, how did it get that discrepancy? Again, you can drill in on that, uh, that dollar amount in the balance sheet and look for non inventory type transactions to help you determine uh, what would be the best way to correct that. And then retained earnings. <laughs> retained earnings is another special account that has a lot of uh, questions associated with it. Um, it is a, default account that is really the cumulative net income loss over the life of the business. Um, there's automatic calculations. Uh, you know which one it is by looking at the, the, the chart of accounts. It does not have a QuickBooks balance. <laughs> um, so you'll see an equity account that doesn't have a balance. Uh, that is the one that is retained earnings. Uh, there is, there's really no reason to to put a transaction into it because 
QuickBooks does all the calculations for you over the life of the business based on the closing date. It will make a closing entry uh, and, and make that and show up on reports uh, uh, properly. Uh, so you may see in this example here that uh, owner's equity, uh, you know, there is no retained earnings account, but uh, it was just renamed as owner's equity on the, on the, on the chart of accounts. Uh, the detail type is nice because in online, because it will actually tell you the detail is, is retained earnings, but you'll be able to tell which one's which by looking for an equity account that does not have a balance. Uh, but that can cause uh, some confusion there. All right, so right. we're coming in for a landing. <laughs> and uh, here we go. So did you learn something new today? And while y'all are answering that poll question, Dan, on payroll taxes, will QBO allow us to be the reporting agent as we can in desktop? And um, yes, uh, if you go into the settings, uh, there will be a way to put in uh, that you are the reporting agent uh, in, in uh, online settings, yes. All right. And uh, somebody, <laughs> this is a loaded question. I definitely don't think we have time for. What are the <laughs> what are the problems with doing away with or deferring payroll taxes? I'm going to say that's beyond the yeah, scope yeah. of our <laughs> discussion here, um, especially because of yeah, it. Yeah. Like, yeah, we're just going to. Yeah, that's the PPP stuff, and um, you know there are other uh, other accounting professionals like Matt Fulton and Hector Garcia mm -hmm. are doing a lot of work about. Uh, yes, you know, keeping up to date with all of that. So I would definitely uh, look at look at their resources that they have available. They're, they they they're making a lot of things just available to you, um, and it's changing too rapidly uh, for for my me, me to keep up right, with that kind right. of stuff. So uh, yeah, uh, I would. So, uh, yeah, I would refer you guys to Hector or Matt. They've been doing a lot of webinars and recordings and stuff on that kind of stuff. So yeah. Somebody said, what were the two? Hector and Matt Fulton. Yeah, I'm going to put it in there. Thank you. There you go. All right. So we did have a lot of people learning something new today. 92%, which is awesome. Great. <laughs> so any other uh, questions you want to uh, handle here? Um, um, yeah, through. just just a couple that I didn't have time to type. I, I just can't type this fast. <laughs> um, Mark says, I don't handle too many sales tax clients. Does PayPal or Square accumulate sales taxes and payable amounts for clients? Hmm. I don't know. I've never actually looked at uh, at those two um, those two options. And are we talking about actually? Uh, if we're talking about actually using Square as a like a point of sale or, or receiving it at at the time. I believe there's settings, you know, to to actually calculate. But as far as paying the sales tax, um, that that's typically where a lot of the payment processors shy away from. Um, right. You know, they well, you can collect it, but as far as paying it. That's right. really where your accounting package is going to come in. Right. And Jack says Square does. But one of the things to keep in mind with Square and PayPal, you're probably recording your sales somewhere else. Or you may be like with PayPal, that's somebody's recording the payment to you with PayPal, but the sale might have been generated um, elsewhere. 
you know, like on Amazon or on eBay or, or Etsy or whatever. Um, so you really need to know the, the third party system and how it's working and is it calculating that? And if that third party system is calculating the sales taxes and has reports for you and everything, that's a situation where like Dan mentioned, you may not use the sales tax feature in QuickBooks. You may just record the summary totals or they may come over if it's integrated. So you've got to do the research and kind of figure out how that's working in that third party system. Yeah. yeah and there's uh, another question here. Can you delete invoices if they're linked to payments? That is the, um, the, 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 positive, you know, the positive side of QuickBooks is that it's flexible and you can delete transactions and it's the bad side of QuickBooks is that it's flexible and you can delete transactions because once they're deleted, they're, they're gone. Uh, there's no uh, Lazarus setting that you can raise them back from the dead. Uh, so <laughs> you have to recreate those transactions if, if you need, need to or make some kind of adjusting entry. All right. I think we had a lot of great questions. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, you can continue those questions on the Facebook group. Yeah. Um, that's a great resource. Uh, as a matter of fact, there was, uh, there's a group for, for group leaders and they were asking, they posed a question, what's a great place to, to ask questions? Like, where's your go-to? And uh, our Facebook group came up uh, pretty regularly on that uh, from, from other people who run other Facebook groups for accounting. <laughs> so yes. that's a great that's place awesome. to be in there. <laughs> so our uh, upcoming, of course, uh, is, is uh, QB Desktop Data Utilities. That's our next one. So join us for that. Uh, anything else, uh, Michelle, you wanted to add before we sign off today? Yep, I just want to say thank you all. Don't forget, if you are certified, you need to recertify by the end of the month. And as Dad said, I hope to see you guys all in the Facebook group. Um, and let us know what other topics and things that you all are interested in. Dan and I are always wanting to meet your needs. So thanks, everybody, for joining us. Stay safe and safe and healthy. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. We hope you enjoyed listening to the QB Power Hour podcast. If you have any questions, feel free to ask them in our Facebook group. You can find those resources and much more at qbpowerhour.com.